When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 57. There's this tension of like, well, maybe if I loved my body more, then I wouldn't feel this way, but I don't think it's about loving your body. I could love my body to pieces and still have this gender tension. Rika Lively just finished her first year of seminary and is interested in queer studies as well as studying spiritual trauma. Uh, She's worked in a local church over the past seven years in various ministries, including communications, missions, and student ministries. Uh, She currently works in communications and is interested in nonprofit work that focuses on empowering the LGBTQ plus community. She's married, she spends her free time playing Nintendo, uh, hanging out with their dog Hercules, uh, and her wife, Megan. Rika is on a little bit of a podcast tour this week that I don't think was intentional, uh, but she was just on the Millenniagram podcast with Hannah Pash, uh, and then just on the Bible for Normal People with PNs. Uh, so that'll happen this week. If you listen to this episode and you're like, OMG, I can't get enough of Erika, uh, there's two more podcasts that were released just in this last week. Uh, you can listen to her on, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we're talking about respectability politics and then the gender journey that Rika has been on. Uh, those two topics are kind of woven together throughout this episode. Before we dive in, it has been a little while since I have thanked uh, the Patreon supporters who make Queerology possible. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to each of you who donate a uh, dollar a month, two dollars a month, five dollars a month, a hundred dollars a month. Thank you so much. It is Patreon that makes Quirology happen. Every dollar counts. Every dollar makes it more possible for me to keep this podcast sustainable. So thank you. Uh, So grateful. And also shout out to Rika for literally jumping on a call with me yesterday morning because the person who originally was going to be on this week, uh, some stuff came up and we had some last minute panic. <laughs> so Rika made this this episode possible. It, it wasn't going to happen, uh, but she was she was gracious enough to work with her schedule a little bit and hop on a call last minute. So thank you, Rika. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Rika, hi, welcome. Hey. It is so good to have you here. 
Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is lovely. Yeah, yeah you're like on a little podcast tour this week. So. I am. Yes, it's only number three that's coming out. That's... I don't know what's going on here. So. All in one week. I don't think any of us planned that, but like, oh. <laughs> here you are. So. <laughs> um, so to start, the question that I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Yeah. Um, so there's always a little tension in my identity whenever I'm asked that question, um, because I'm kind of on a journey with my identity. Um, I'll say using some labels, I am biracial. I am queer. Um, I guess I'm a millennial. Um, and then also, uh, I'm kind of exploring my gender right now. Um, so trying to figure out what that means. Um, some days I identify as a cis woman. Um, and then other days I, feel like I probably fall into the non-binary category. Um, and so I'm kind of on this gender journey where I'm figuring out what gender means to me and how I express myself in that way. Um, and one of the things that has actually been really helpful for me and my gender identity is my faith. Um, because in the past couple of years, I've started to loosen up the labels on my faith and realize that uh, labels like Christian or labels like father for God, um, I don't need to hold on to so tightly. And so when I've realized that labels kind of put us in the box sometimes, for me uh, and with my own gender, I realize like I can be a little more fluid with that and I don't quite need a label for my gender. And so as I've loosened up the labels on my faith, I'm also loosening up the labels on my gender, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like in a way, like finding more freedom in your your faith and those labels around faith is giving you the freedom to actually kind of explore being unlabeled <laughs> absolutely yeah, right, yeah. I, I do think labels can be helpful i mean i think as humans categories help us out i mean even for um survival categories were helpful like this we put this in the dangerous category and we put this in this the safe for me category um so labels aren't bad in and of themselves but i think sometimes in our society we get so tied down to them that we're nothing else but our label and i mean we do that when we categorize other people where we say like well you're gay and that's all that you are Um, we do that in the church often and so um, when that happens if you can't be anything else than gay and if that's a bad thing in the church then um, it's like well wait no there's more to me than that there's more to me than my queerness Um, I'm proud of my queerness and um, that might be one label but sometimes we use labels against each other and so I'm learning to find ways to see myself outside of those labels that have been used against me or the way I even use them against myself um and so it's been really helpful with my faith uh, to see God in different ways now and um, to explore different spiritual practices and not be stuck in a box some days. Right. And, I, and I'm thinking about because like, so, so we actually recorded an episode at Wild Goose Festival together, we did. Um, and which <laughs> didn't actually get recorded. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, but what we talked about during that episode, it was you and Lauren Sadalongo and Kevin Garcia. We, we were talking about respectability politics. Right. Uh, and that's something that I think, like when we're talking about labels and the way that we categorize people, and then we have to sometimes, like when we're categorized as that, we have to then perform as that or perform to a certain expectation of what that means or what yes. it doesn't mean. And like, I'd love to maybe dive into, I know we've already had a conversation about this, but <laughs> have another conversation about <laughs> yeah. this because like you had a lot of really great things to say. So like respectability politics, like that's a word that gets tossed around a lot. Um, I'd love to hear like maybe how you define that. 
yeah. to start with um, and then yeah. what it makes you think of. Well, and that was like a new term for me too um, recently. And so this has been helpful for me to kind of learn what respectability politics means to me and from my own experiences, because I think there are times where I've played into that throughout my life and I didn't even know there was a term for that. Um, but for me, respectability politics is, like, is this idea of when marginalized people groups change their behaviors to try and fit in with the dominant group, which in our society is this white, cisgendered, heterosexual, male-focused group. Um, and so that usually means hiding parts of our identity or ourself in order to fit in um, and receive the benefits of fitting in. Um, so like I noticed I did that all the time with my hair. Uh, surprisingly. So being biracial, a very, very curly hair, um, hair that I never saw in magazines. Um, I would walk down the hair aisle at like Target and would never, could never find products um, for my hair or um, like would ever see models that had my hair. It, I, it's gotten a lot better now, but when I was in elementary school, middle school, um, there was no representation for my hair. And so um, I grew up in a lot of white communities. And so I'd, I'd always be the only uh, person of color in my class. So I was the only kid in class with this really curly hair and kids would make fun of me. And so I realized to fit in, I needed to have straight hair. So I'd like beg my mom to relax my hair, which is how, you know, you put chemicals in your hair to get it straightened out or you use heat uh, like with a blow dryer and a flat iron to get it really straight. And so I wore my hair straight for years in order to fit in. So kids stopped making fun of my hair. Um, and so like if we had like a dance, like I remember like homecoming in high school, I had to get my hair straightened because I wanted, you know, for me, that's what beauty looks like. You know, that's what beautiful hair looked like to me. So that was just one way of me fitting, trying to fit in. And that's like, that was respectability politics playing out in my life, even in middle and high school. Yeah. Like that, that, it, I mean, it, it feels like it's such like an implicit thing that we just like, we just automatically do it in a way like the, the trying to fit in, which is not necessarily a bad drive. Um, but it does mean when we are different, like, it can then do a lot like it can, it can cause trauma and, and then make us make us try to like fit into something that we're not um, right. and, and not value those parts of ourselves that are vastly different from what dominant culture wants us to be. Well, and I think also like because right, like fitting in, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, um, I think part of the issues is when if you don't fit in, if there's negative aspects that comes out of that like that's when it becomes an issue for me like wearing my curly hair meant I was going to get teased on the bus and teased at lunchtime um so there was a negative aspect of not fitting in um whereas now like I'm not worried about fitting in because I like I can wear my hair curly and at this point like I have the confidence so if I and I mean people aren't going to tease me on the street anymore they might say things behind my back but at this point I don't care but I think when there's negative um aspects because usually there's a benefit of fitting in um and so i think that's when it becomes an issue is if you're different and there's something negative that comes out of it whether it's a microaggression or even a safety issue um then that's when fitting in like like it needs to become a conversation and that like fitting in shouldn't have to happen if there's a negative aspect that comes out of it yeah like if, if fitting in requires us to kill off a part of ourselves then what are we doing like right 
I'd be curious, like, as so, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're kind of starting to explore gender. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like gender is one of those things that is very performative. Like we have to fit into a certain box or be read as a certain gender. Like there are very strict kind of boundaries around what what gender is and what it isn't. Um, And I'd be curious as you're kind of like starting to explore this and and play with your gender a little bit. Like, what have you noticed around like, what have you learned from that? Like, even... Yeah. yeah so, open question. <laughs> <laughs> so, gender for me has mostly been played out in how I dress. Um, because I think, like you said, it, there's such um, strict rules around gender. And that usually comes out in clothing. Um, like, men aren't allowed to wear skirts or dresses. Um, and, like, women wearing pants was revolutionary years ago. Um, and so, for me, um, like, I shop in the men's section now whenever I buy clothes. And uh, that was a really, uh, that was transformative for me for multiple reasons. One, it was liberating because I've always wanted to wear men's clothes. Um, I did something about style, something about the way it fits. Um, I just, a lot of women's clothes like shorts are always way shorter than shorts that I'm comfortable wearing. And so buying men's shorts meant I could buy shorts at a length that I liked. Um, But also shopping in the men's section meant shopping in the men's section and I was a woman surrounded by men and I felt really uncomfortable and I was like okay how can I look like I'm shopping for like a boyfriend or a brother or something you know um but for me it's it's really just been how I express myself with fashion and so um you know I wear my hats every day I usually have a hat on backwards um and that's been a freeing thing too because before I I came out as queer I dressed really femininely on purpose so people wouldn't assume I was gay. Um, And so part of this, my gender has also been kind of been tied to my sexuality, which gender and sexuality get looped together all the time, even though they're different things. Um, For me, they've kind of been tangled together because with me being able to come out, I've been able to also explore my gender with a little more freedom because I think being part of the LGBTQ community there's a little more freedom to express your gender than there is when you're straight um, because people assume that you're going to fit in this box and that you also, that like you may not have the desire to explore when really um, I imagine there's probably a lot of cisgendered or straight people who want to explore their gender, who don't get a chance to. Um, But for me, it's been an interesting relationship with my body. Um, You know, I have a pretty feminine body. Um, I'm pretty curvy. Um, and I have breasts and, you know, that those can get in the way sometimes because in trying to shop for masculine clothes, um, things don't always fit the way I want them to. Um, and so I actually I bought a binder uh, the other day and that was a really freeing moment for me too because it was, you know, there's this tension of like, well, maybe if I loved my body more, then I wouldn't feel this way. But I don't think it's about loving your body. I could love my body um to pieces and still have this gender tension. Um, And so having a binder was also pretty liberating for myself because it was a way for me to express kind of what's in my head um, and to present more masculinely um, and that fit with with what was in my head. Um, And I don't know, there's, there's just something about being able to present the way that you want to feel. It's, it's powerful. I mean, it it sounds like a, like, I mean, you, you said a liberating experience and that, and as you're talking, like that's exactly what it sounds like is to be able to present the way that you see yourself in your head, um, or the way that you want to, like, that sounds so freeing. 
And like, I would imagine like the confidence that comes with that is, is probably profound. Is that true? Like, yes, on some days, right? Because it depends on where I am. Um, Like if I'm, so we just moved, my wife and I just moved to Phoenix. Um, We moved from Tallahassee and we're in a new location. And so I'm not, technically we're in Scottsdale. We're right outside of Phoenix. And so um, like, I'm not quite sure how the queer community is accepted here. Um, in Tallahassee, we had a strong community. And so like, my wife and I could go to church in Tallahassee, and I could wear like a button down with khakis um, and dress really masculinely and probably even wear my binder if I wanted to, um, and feel really confident standing next to my wife, um, feeling very queer, feeling in, you know, very masculine presenting and feeling very confident because I know I was in a safe place. Um, but now that we're in a new town, I'm not sure how the queer community is accepted. And so we'll be walking down the street and I'm dressed the way I am, uh, and I'm holding hands with my wife and I'm like looking around, like wondering, like, are people looking at us? Like, how do they see us? Um, and even like, um, on road trips, when we made our road trip from Tallahassee to Scottsdale, um, we stopped at a lot of small towns, um, and just going to the bathroom, there was this fear of like, okay, I'm about to walk into the woman's restroom. Um, I get misgendered on a regular basis. Is someone going to think that I'm a man in a woman's bathroom? Um, Like, are people going to feel unsafe? Because I've had someone come up to me before I was in the restroom. And and I was wearing a hat. I had like a striped shirt on and jeans. Um, Pretty casual, like not super masculine, just a t-shirt and jeans and a hat. And someone came up to me and was like, am I in the wrong restroom? And I... I was so scared because I didn't know what they were going to do. And I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed and ashamed. And I was like, man, like I, like, this is who I am. This is how I feel confident. This is how I feel comfortable. Yet it's, I just made someone else feel uncomfortable or questioned like if they were even in the right restroom. And so there are days where it's hard to feel confident in that in a society that doesn't quite accept gender exploration. Right. And, and that gets, I mean, that is like exactly what, I mean, this, this term respectability politics, like, which like, I feel like I have a complicated relationship with that term because it feels so academic (laughs) to describe an experience that I feel like uh, at least the people who listen to this podcast have like daily experience with. Right. Um, But that's exactly what it is. Like that, that having to twist and, and and even just be aware when we're walking down the street of the threat, potential threat, potential danger that could come from anywhere. Yeah. What do you feel like that does to your body? Like this 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 threat or this potential threat. Um how would you say that that affects you? Yeah, I mean, it's so they've, I mean, I know they've done studies that like we keep shame in our body. Like that is a bodily experience that we hold shame and tension in our body. Um, I wish I had the science behind that, but I'm not a scientist or an academic, but um, I'm sure I could find some studies on that. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's like if you've ever had anxiety before, um, it whether you have generalized anxiety, I feel like this threat is equal to the amount of general anxiety that you can have as a person, like as a mental health issue and not to equate, you know, respectability politics with mental health, but because there is this threat that is on you on a daily basis, you wear it 
always wondering what's going to happen. How are people going to see me? And it does become an anxiety. At least it does for me. Um, It becomes an anxiety for me where I feel it in my body. And like one, like I'm tired all the time because I'm worrying all the time about how are, how am I, how is my presentation going to affect people today? Um, And someone might say, well, like, why are you so concerned about how other people see you? And well, because it's a safety issue. I mean, the amount of trans women that are killed um, is horrifying and wrong. Um, It's a justice issue when you talk about that. Um, And so when there's legitimate reason to fear for your life, um, then it does become an anxiety. Uh, Not being able to, you know, on a road trip, not being able to stop at a small town because you're not sure how you're going to be perceived and you're not sure how people are going to respond to you. Um, like it's privileged to, to not have to worry about that. Um, so just like, you know, microaggressions affect us psychologically. Like I think this affects us in our body and in our mind. I mean, I, I'm well aware that I can pass very easily on the street. Like this is not something that is necessarily an everyday in and out ex- experience for me as a white man. But like those mm. times that I like, put on a pair of heels and go out to the club like the like the amount of like I just notice myself shift in such a way that it's like it 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 does something to me just putting on those heels And, and I have the ability to take those heels off and like feel relatively safe no matter where I go but but it's an entirely different experience when I have those heels on or when I'm like wearing nail polish like so For some of us who have the option to pass, which like I had the ability to pass like as a feminine presenting woman for years. And I, and I did, um, I dressed in, in feminine clothes, um, and wore big hoop earrings and makeup. Um, just so I would, I, no one would find out about me. Um, that that's heartbreaking because like for you, like or for me or for anyone who wants to explore their gender or who wants to express themselves the way they see themselves in their head, like they might not get a chance to, because not everyone is in, uh, excuse me, is um, in a safe place to do that. Um, They might, you know, whether you're in the church or um, your family, you know, you might be living at home um, with your family and they may not accept you that way. Um, That breaks my heart that like not everyone even has the option to do that because some of us carry the weight and we go out and we present ourselves the way we want to anyways, even with the idea of like, well, people might look at me funny today, but that's okay. Like, I'm still going to be confident and hold my head up high. And and that's one thing. But then there's even the weight of like, I wish I could express myself this way. I wish I could live a certain way. But in a way, some of us are like still in the closet to use that term um, because they can't quite express themselves the way they want to. Um, because society just doesn't allow them to, or their families or their churches may not allow them to. I don't know. That's just, it's not fair. (laughs) Right. I'm curious, like, because this has been, I mean, exploring these things has had been a journey for you. Can you remember back to like, maybe one of the first times that you did decide to like, walk out the front door and play around with things beyond the confines of your house? Like, what was that like? I mean, it was a breath of fresh air. Um, I, it felt like a weight had been lifted off off of me, and I felt like I was my true self. Um, you know, 
when I was younger, I always thought, okay, when I'm older, when I'm in my 20s, like, um, like I'm going to cut off my hair and I'm going to be this person that I've wanted to be for years. And I don't know who, what that person looks like yet, um, but I see all these people who are confident, who seem to be confident walking around and I want to be them one day. Because um, I was so insecure in middle school and in high school, um, and I just I felt like I never fit in. Um, although that could be my four talking and my Enneagram four, mm. you know, never fitting in. Mm. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but so I mean, I remember um, I hadn't come out yet. Um, I don't I don't think I had come out yet. If I had, it, it had to be within the first month. Um, and I was in another town with my wife at the time. Um, and we went into a Vans store and I love like Vans is one of my favorite stores ever. And I bought a hat. Um, it was a blue hat that I still have. And I, like, I wasn't wearing hats at the time, but my hair was really short. Um, and I bought a hat and I wore it out of the mall and I just felt so cool. Mm. Like I felt so wonderful. Yes. Um, and I was in a different town too. So like, I couldn't run into anyone and I know it's just a hat, like, and not, that seems so small and insignificant, but like I had bought a like a man's hat, and like I just felt so confident, and I was like, okay, this is the first step, and like I'm going to do more of this, and so I did. Um, like I went to H and M the next day, and like I bought a bunch of men's shirts, and I went to American Eagle, and I bought a bunch of like floral button downs, um, and like and I started to like change my closet to fit who I wanted to be. Um, and it just, it was so liberating. It, it was, I mean, it was beautiful. That's, uh, that just sounds like so great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I, I think this conversation is like highlighting like the complexity that's here in this. So like we talked about earlier, like how that confidence can also turn into very quickly feeling unsafe. And yes. so like, so like the way that those two things play together of wanting to be who we are and how we see ourselves and then the inherent um, risk maybe that comes with that. Um, and I, and I guess I'm curious for people who are maybe like beginning to explore this, what advice would you give on like maybe how to navigate that complexity, mm -hmm. like the confidence that comes with it and the risk that comes with it? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, so I want to never like force anyone out into the world um, because you have to do that on your own time and when you're ready. Um, but I also understand that feeling of just like bursting at the seams of like, I just want to be me and I want to, I just want to come out and just like, and be myself, right? Um, so one, like, um, and like, I had a very traumatic coming out experience. I mean, like my wife had to leave home, right? So like being herself meant that like she had, like she lost her family for doing that. And so I don't wish that pain on anyone. So I do say like, if you're at home um, and like you're in a community that may not allow you to be yourself, um, if you're not ready to, um, like if you're, and you may not be able to, and that's okay. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, if, if like, if you're not in a place where you could possibly take the risk of losing a community um, or, you know, losing a, a family or relationships, um, like that's okay. Like you don't have to beat yourself up over not being able to quite be yourself yet. Um, whether it's coming out or expressing your gender or anything, um, you're still you. Um, you are still the you that you want to be and you will be the you that you want to be, even if it's not today. 
um, because I do believe that safety is important um, and it's a big risk and trauma can come out of that. Um, and so I, I think there are times when we beat ourselves up for not being proud enough, not being queer enough, um, not identifying with, you know, the right gender enough, whatever it is. Um, and I, and I think that that can turn into shame for ourselves. Um, and so I, I still want people to know that like you can, you're still yourself. You are still you. Um, and that you will be that, that person, um, at some point. And it's okay if it's not today. Um, because, because we have to take care of ourselves. And that's probably the most important thing, um, is being able to take care of ourselves. And so I understand that not everyone is able to do that today. Um, not, not everyone is able to be the person that they want to be today. Um, but that's okay. You, you've mentioned a couple times that you're married. Um, yes. what has it been like kind of navigating this within a marriage as well? Like, cause I'm sure like having another person in on the mix yeah. and even like even that like the the politics that come with queer coupledom and with walking down the street holding hands like that adds a whole nother level to it as well i would imagine yes it's been interesting um in a good way um my wife is incredibly wonderful um and has been like metaphorically and literally holding my hand through this gender um exploration um is was encouraged me to get a binder because um, I was really anxious about it um, and was really encouraging about it um, and has been helpful uh, when shopping in the men's section will like if I'm having a rough day will come with me and is just almost like a confidence booster for me I guess um, that's probably the best way to put it but has been so understanding because even for her um, my, my wife probably dresses really um, androgynously I guess that's a word mm-hmm. yeah that's a word yeah. um, <laughs> And so we're actually a really interesting queer couple because I think there's a stereotype um, for um, when you've got two women dating that like one of them dresses like a man and the other one dresses like a girl. Like there's always like the girly girl one. Um, Like that's the stereotype and neither of us fit that description. So that's also another layer of like, we'll like both be, if anything, like I probably dress a little more masculinely, but I mean, we still both shop in the men's section at this point in our lives so i mean we'll both be walking down the street um megan my wife has a lot more feminine features than i do um so she doesn't really ever get misgendered um i get misgendered at least once a week and so i'm always like what do we look like to other people like megan obviously looks like a girl and she can pull off the masculine thing and still look kind of girly when she does it um and then like i probably look like a dude and like maybe we pass as a straight couple um like, I'm always curious as just to, like, how we look. But anyways, just in our marriage, like, my wife has been very supportive to me. And it's been really helpful having someone to really bounce off, like, gender exploration with and be like, this is what I'm thinking today. Um, this is what I'm exploring today. Um, like, honestly, like, I could transition. Um, and, like, she would be so supportive of that. Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful and blessed to be in a relationship that, that has that support. Yeah, I guess like you mentioned a little bit earlier about like that need to care for ourselves um, Mm -hmm. and that need to kind of like, especially as we try to move in the world in our various identities, what, what are some practices that you've found for yourself that help you be able to move in the world for another day? Yeah. Um, So one being gentle with myself, Um, I put a lot of expectations on on myself um, every day. 
And so one of the first things I do is I'm, I'm, I try to be really gentle with myself. Um, and like, if I have a lot to do today, um, like I'll make a list and be like, okay, here's a reasonable list for myself. Um, and this is just like practical self care. Um, and, and I don't, I don't beat myself up for things that I miss. Um, because like I was, I, I wasn't raised in the church, but I had a very intense church experience for about five years where I was really taught a lot of shame. And so for me, like having to undo a lot of shame practices, which I think a lot of like the queer community experiences a lot of shame, uh, whether they were raised in the church or not, there's just, unfortunately, shame and queerness often go together in our society. And so I'll just, every day I try to be gentle with myself um, and I think for me, being gentle with myself combats any feelings of shame. Um, but I have a friend who practices this, and he taught me this practice. Um, and it's a very practical thing to do. But if I'm ever getting to that point where I feel like um, I may not be doing okay, um, whether it's about my gender or my sexuality or anything throughout the day, um, he has this practice where he looks in the mirror um, and he says, I am safe, I am loved. And so I, I've taken on that practice. It's a beautiful practice where I stand in the mirror and I say, I am safe and I am loved. Um, and I think that those two things are so important for the queer community to know um, is that they're safe and that they're loved. Um, and so for me, um, that's been really helpful in navigating the day and also in putting myself in places where I am safe and where I am loved. Because you can say that and that's a helpful thing to say to yourself in the mirror. Um, to kind of help with self-love because that can be hard but it's also another thing too to actually to actually practice it um to put yourself in places where you are safe and where you are loved and again i know that can be hard for some people they may not be in, in communities face-to-face communities where they can have that but there's a lot of communities online where you can have that where you can feel safe and loved i mean the online queer community is absolutely beautiful i i have that on twitter um so like living in a new place where I'm trying to find a church. I'm trying to find friends. I'm trying to meet people. Um, Like the online community for me has been a helpful place for me to be reminded that like, oh, there are people out there who are lovely, you know? Um, So those two practices have been really helpful. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I I mean, I'm thinking about like those online communities and like you're, I know you're pretty plugged in with the Reformation Project. Yeah. And and like the community that has come through that, and and I'm curious in this. I don't even know if this will make it on the podcast, but like, are you doing anything at the conference this fall? I am. Yeah. Um, I am on a panel. Um, I, I so I'm. Oh gosh, I'm a terrible like uh, <laughs> representative right now for the Reformation Project because I don't even. I think the name of our panel is Mixed Feelings. Okay. Um, but basically, um, we're talking about middle identities. Um, there, gosh, how many of us are there? I think there's six of us. Um, gosh, I really am a terrible representative right now. But um, yeah, was, there's six of us. It was a surprise but question. So. <laughs> it was. Uh, okay, I found the document. It's in front of me. It's okay. uh, Mixed Feelings, a Tapestry of Stories Beyond Ethnic Orientation and Gender Boundaries. So we are going to be talking about some really, really cool stuff. Um but I'm on the panel for that. Yes. Yes. And I think I'm also representing or doing some sort of activity um, about uh, the Reformation Project leadership cohort, um, which is a really, really great experience. I recommend that to, to everyone I know who's excited about LGBTQ inclusion. Um, it is like a three to four month program where 
It's basically a graduate level course where you're studying affirming and non-affirming resources, um, racial um, reconciliation. Um, you're learning on how to be a leader for inclusion. It's an incredible program and it, it changed my life. So um, whenever we talk about the Reformation Project, I have to include that because it's it's an incredible program. Yeah, like I just, I feel like I love being able to plug the Reformation Project on this podcast because like, yes. I mean, the conference is my favorite conference that I go to every year. And for all y'all who are listening here, like, what is this? Like, it's it's happening in October this year um, in Orlando, which will be fun and warm. Um, yeah. And it's just going to be great. So, <laughs> yes, if you can come, I mean, talking about safe um, and loving communities, that is a community where you will feel safe and you will feel loved. Um, even if you don't know anyone there, like come find me, I will be your friend. And like, I guarantee you, but like it being there, people are just like naturally like wanting to get to know you and wanting to build you up. Um, so you could like not know anyone there and you will leave with a family. It, and, and honestly, so it, this will be my first conference with the Reformation Project, but doing Reformation Project like activities beforehand, that's just the nature of their group. They're just so inclusive. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about this is turning into like a big plug. <laughs> but I was I was literally like the other day I was at a wedding for some of my best friends and we were talking about like someone was like, how did you all meet? And I realized not only were these friends at this wedding, but like most of my like closest friend group right now, every single mm-hmm. one of them, I met at my first Reformation Project conference. That's like, oh, wow. that is the weekend. I was like, I met all these people that weekend. And like some of those friendships didn't really develop until like later on. But I'm like, that still was the first time that I met this person. And that's just wild to me. Like from one conference, one weekend. Mm-hmm some of my closest friendships and people who I do life with on a daily basis. Oh my gosh. I just said do life with um, them. I met at that conference. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. But this podcast isn't about reformation project, but still (laughs) you're welcome. TRP. (laughs) Oh, so like, okay, maybe circling back (laughs) to kind of wrap up. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious, like, I mean, and I've, and I've kind of already asked this question in one way, um, but like that that journey again, though, has been a journey, and like this is something that I don't feel like we talk about a whole lot. Um, but what, like, how has your family been in kind of as you've explored this? Like, what has that been like? Um, yeah, as you've been on this journey. So that is, I mean, that's a whole story, right? Because um one like my parents I don't think speak like the queer language very well um as as supportive as they've been like I don't I don't know if they know what it means to like transition or what like non-binary means or um or any of those things um so for my gender exploration um I haven't shared a lot with them um so they only know what they see right and so they see their daughter dressing like and presenting very masculinely um and so it's interesting because my mom always wanted a girl. Uh, she wanted a girly girl to dress up uh, and to have. And I always, I had an older brother. And I think part of like wanting to look up to my older brother, even before I understood gender, was like, I just want to be like him. And so there is always this, like, I want to 
there was always like this masculine influence in my life. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but so um, I've never been that girl. And that was a place of tension for us for a really long time. Um, She always wanted me to dress a certain way. And so I used, so I finally did like when I was like, got, I got older until like when I was like 10 and 11, I really started to like play into the feminine role. But after coming out um, and having that like big confidence boost of like, no, I'm, I'm going to be who I want to be. Um, my mom has been really supportive. Um, and that was a surprise to me just because it was a place of tension for us when I was younger. Um, and so like when I had like a job interview, like she went and bought me like a suit. Um, and that was so um, empowering to me because my mom was able to see me um, the way I saw myself. Um, and so I know that, you know, that doesn't always work out in families. Um, but again, I'm, I have a, a great support system between my wife and my family. Um, and I think even if I were to express to my parents, like, hey, you know, here's, you know, all this gender language, and here's where I am. Um, you know, I, I don't even think they need the language just to see that, like, oh, this makes our daughter happy. Um, and that's, that's the point, you know, um, it's about being confident. It's about being happy, um, in your skin. Um, and even if that means sometimes not fitting in, fitting in, isn't the point, um, fitting into those expectations or into those gender roles is not the point. The point is just us being ourselves and being loved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love, I love that. Uh, Rika, this has been so wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for like yeah. last minute jumping on a call with me. Like <laughs> it was fun. I'm so grateful. <laughs> yeah. So this has been an absolute blast. Um, how can people find you and your work? Yeah. Um, so you can find me on all the things at uh, Rika Donye. That's Rika, R-I-K-A, Donye, D-O-N-Y-E. Um, so I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and then I'm currently on our Bible app, which is a Bible devotional digital app um, made by um, queer and people of color um, people. Yes. Um, and so I have a, a devotion on there called Compassion for Our Bodies. It is a devotion on self-care. And I'll have some more devotions out there soon. So you can find me writing on the Our Bible app. That's awesome. And that yeah. I mean, that app is truly incredible. Yes, it is like I mean, there's so like there's devotions, there's podcasts, queerology's on there with a bunch of other yeah. um, inclusive Bible translations. Like it is, it is such a cool app um, made by and for queer people. It's amazing. Um, ah, well, thank you so much, Rika. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find Rika across the internet at Rika Donye, R I K A. D-O-N-Y-E. Also check her out on our Bible app. Go download that now if you don't have it. Uh, Corology is on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Corology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and over 80 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Corology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash support. A really easy way to support Corology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye! You know how 
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.